as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ. The uh, words of the song we have just sung capture in, a, in, a, in miniature some of the profound impact that the coming of Christ and its meaning of the coming of Christ has for us. In the second stanza of the song we have just sung, um, it says, As the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day, that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. Well, friends, this is why Jesus has come. This is why Jesus has come to be born, so that the works of Satan might be destroyed, so that the power of darkness might be dispelled. And this morning, as we look at God's Word, um, we are looking at a passage that has been uh, declared by some to be the gospel of the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, we encourage you to find this passage on page number 599 in a few Bibles. Um, we are currently working our way through the book of Isaiah, and uh, we are reaching at a a point in this book that is a major transition in the book in terms of the message that we see. Let's hear God's word read for us, and then we will hear uh, from God, pray for our hearts, a message of comfort. Here's God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Would you bow with me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word for our souls? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the 
revelation that you have given to us in your word of yourself and of the comfort that you provide for your people. Father, would you speak to our hearts in a way that your people might be comforted with the comfort that you alone are able to give through the power of your Holy Spirit and to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we have finished last week the second major uh, part of the book of Isaiah. Uh, a part of the book of Isaiah that spoke about the uh, difficulties that the, that the people of Judah have been a part of, particularly King Hezekiah, as he faced the enemy, the, the threat of Assyria. And the last part of the, of the second book of Isaiah, the second cha- uh, part of Isaiah, spoke about a, a time in King Hezekiah in his life when he was uh, threatened by illness. And God used that that trouble, not only to show his power to King Hezekiah, but also to reveal to the king that a time of, of exile for the people of Judah has still been decreed. And that exile is going to come. And that exile was not going to come during the lifetime of King Hezekiah, but was going to come after he would be gone. Chapter 40 begins speaking a message that is utterly different in tone than what we have heard at the end of 39. In chapter 40, there's a, there's a change of, of tone, there's a change of message, if you will, so much that some theologians think that starting with Isaiah 40, we really have a different author speaking these words. Uh, some people even might refer to the second half of Isaiah from this point onwards as second Isaiah. Uh, because the message seems to be so different. Well, friends, there's no reasons for us, there's no good reasons for us to cave in to the theory that these words are written uh, by someone else other than Isaiah. One of the primary reasons why people think that it must be written by someone else other than Isaiah is because it speaks about a time after the exile. And uh, it's hard for some theologians and for some, for some scholars to believe in predictive prophecy, to believe that God's Word can reveal the future. So whenever we have passages of, of texts that give information that speak with great clarity about things that have already been fulfilled, but they speak from a time of the past into the future, they, must, they think it must be written after the things have actually been taken place. Well, we believe in a God who is able to reveal the future. We believe in a God who is able to speak about the future with such certainty and speak about it with, about it with such detail as if, it, if it's written from the perspective that things have already taken place. Well, in this context, we see the, the beginning of the chapter 40, and it, it, is like a, it is like a table of contents for the rest of the book of Isaiah because it deals with some of the, some of the big themes that the rest of Isaiah will, will unpack for us. One of the big themes, uh, in, in, well, the number of themes are wrapped into it, the theme of, of sins being forgiven, the, the theme of restoration, the theme of God coming to his people. But one of, the th- one of the major themes that wraps all these little themes together is the theme of comfort. Comfort. 
this morning as we look at this passage, would like for us to look at the, the comfort that God gives for troubled hearts. And as we look at this passage, there will be two major points. Who issues the comfort and to whom? And then the second point is, what does the message of comfort include? We all need comfort at various times in our lives. We all like to hear words of comfort. And that message of comfort may take different forms for any of us, for all of us, depending on what we need, depending on what we want. Now this morning, we are going to hear a message of comfort from God. And His message of comfort will reveal what we truly need and what we ultimately want. We we may not realize that this comfort is something that we need. There might be some this morning when you hear the word comfort, you get excited about it. It's sweet to receive words of comfort. When we're going to get to the message of comfort, you might be surprised what it contains. This morning, let's look first at who issues the comfort and to whom. And then in the second part, we will look at what this message of comfort includes. Let's look at the first part. Who is this message of comfort given by and to whom? First of all, the command to comfort is given to a specific group of people. Notice this command to provide comfort is not issued to everyone, but it's specifically issued to God's people. Look at verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Now, the command to comfort God's people is needed at any time, but it was especially needed in Isaiah 40. Why? Because in chapter 39, God told King Hezekiah that Judah will be taken into exile. God decreed the exile because God's people turned away from God and they disobeyed God's word. God was right to send them to exile. Earlier in Isaiah 6, God commissioned Isaiah and gave him a message to bring a message of doom and of God's discipline. Remember Isaiah 6? How God told Isaiah to go to a people who are of stubborn hearts? And Isaiah and, and said, go and, and, and declare to them that they, may he- that they would hear but not hear, that they would see but not see, so that their hearts might be darkened. And Isaiah asked, Lord, how long? How long, O Lord? And the Lord said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes the people far away. The message of of judgment that God entrusted to Isaiah would have this length of time until the Lord removes people far away. The exile was decreed. And chapter 39 in Isaiah announces to King Hezekiah that the exile will surely come. But even though the exile has just been decreed, Isaiah's message is not over. And this is a surprising turn in this book. In the latter part of his ministry, Isaiah received from God a message of comfort. Isaiah received this message in his time, even though this message of comfort was for later generations. The message is deeply undeserved. What Judah deserved was the exile. And God did let them experience the exile in full. But in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of the deep 
anguish of, of the coming ex, uh, exile, God issues a new decree. And the decree is to comfort God's exiled people. This means, dear friends, that the message of comfort does not remove the exile. The message of comfort does not remove the trouble, the pain, or the grief. This decree of comfort is given to people who are going to experience the exile. This means that the judgment of God and the God of judgment and the God of wrath is also the God of comfort. He was the one who issued the discipline. And he is now the one who issues the comfort. Notice that it is God who takes the initiative to decree this offering of comfort to his people. What a medicine for their troubled hearts. It's important to realize that in terms of timing, between chapter 39 and the events of chapter 40, there's about 140 plus years. The Babylonian exile came about 140 years after the events of of chapter 39. Yet God decrees in advance a message for his people so that, and, it, and it's decreed way before the exile, so that when God's people will be taken into exile, they may know that the exile is not the last word. That they should have this hope that the God who decreed their exile is also the, the God who decree, decreed for them comfort. This means, dear friends, that the life of the people of God who experience this comfort is not a trouble-free life. It means also that the troubles will not endure forever. They will come to an end. I love how in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul speaks of, of this God of comfort. And he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The God, who, the one who comforts is God. He's the God of comfort. But how does God comfort them? How does God issues this comfort to them? Notice, by speaking to them. Notice in verse 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And then the very next thing, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God's word, God's decree has the ability to comfort. And God comforts first and foremost through speaking. This phrase could also be translated, speak to the heart. Friends, God's comfort is not merely an emotional experience. It affects our emotions, but it's not merely an emotional experience. God's comfort is given to us through hearing God's word. Through hearing what he says. Now look again at verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. The notion of crying can also be translated as calling out or uttering a loud sound. The point here is not merely to shed tears. 
but to call out and to speak explicitly. In other words, a clear message must be communicated. God comforts his people through a clear message. That's why, dear friends, I wonder if you have considered if any of us lack God's comfort. But the medicine for God's comfort is God's word. Hearing a word from the Lord. God is able to comfort his people. And he does it by sending them a message. And in this passage, we see actually that the command to comfort and the command to speak is all given in imperatives that are in the plural. The English translation hides that. But, but, but the, in, the, in the Hebrew language, these are imperatives that are given in the plural. In other words, it's not just one person doing the, the comforting. It's not just one person doing the speaking. As a matter of fact, if you look at the passage, we will see at least three messengers. One in verse 3, a voice cries. The first messenger. Then in verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And then we were told what that person should cry and communicate. And then in verse 9, we see a third messenger. And this time the messenger is Jerusalem itself. Say to the cities of Judah. You see how God communicates comfort? By speaking and putting a message in his messengers to speak to his people. Oh, friends, I wonder if you cherish God's word in this way, that it is a means by which God comforts his people. That's why when my own heart is troubled, there are two things that I do regularly in times of trouble. I seek a place and a time when I can retrieve somewhere and just read God's word for uninterrupted time, longer than usual. And the second thing I do is I have a few preachers I listen to on a regular basis. And I might give myself some time in which I will go through two or three sermons at a time. Just to hear God's word spoken to my heart. The greatest way we can seek God's comfort is by going to his word. Reading it, meditating upon it, and then hearing it proclaimed. Because God has the ability to comfort his people by delivering to them a message of comfort. And through that mere word spoken to their hearts, God is able to communicate comfort to his people. There are all, these, all this message now, as we look at, at the message, let's look at what is the content of what God communicates. What is the content of what God speaks as he commands these messengers to communicate to God's people? What does the message of comfort include? We will look at five elements of the message of comfort that is included in this, in this message that God ushers and decrees. First of all, the message of comfort includes the first news that sin is pardoned. Sin is pardoned. Look at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her. What? That her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned. Their sin brought them into exile. The reason why they were in this devastating stage of the exile was because of their sin. 
And now they hear the news that their sin is forgiven. Not only does the message of comfort declare that sin is forgiven, but there's an extra detail here in verse 2 that she has received from the Lord's hand double of all her sin, or double for all her sins. The picture of receiving double from the Lord's hand is a bit puzzling. Some wonder, does it mean that the Lord gives double the amount of punishment that is needed or required? No, that's not the picture here. Um, this is a, an idiom or a picture, and the word for double can also mean to fold over or fold in half. This picture communicates that each half are equal, and thus God's payment matches perfectly and fully the sin that was committed. God's payment for sin matches perfectly and fully the rebellion that God's people deserve. So the meaning of this phrase, to receive from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, means that the Jerusalem has received double-fold, exact match of what was needed for her sin, so that her sin could be removed and pardoned. At this point in the book of Isaiah, we are not told how is it that their sin was pardoned. What is, what is that double match that the sin is pardoned? It's clear that we will have to wait until Isaiah 53 to hear what is it that God does to pardon their sin. But notice that the comfort God offers does not say, well, I'll just sweep your sin under the rug. God's comfort doesn't say, uh, don't worry about your sin. No, God's comfort speaks to Judah's sin being paid for entirely. By whom? Who paid for it? Who gave the double portion? From the Lord. The Lord is the one who made the payment. And we will see this in Isaiah 53 in more detail. But the message of comfort that Judah hears is that the Lord is the one who offers a full payment for the crime committed. God's comfort is associated with the news that our sin is dealt with. Oh, friends, I wonder if this news brings comfort to your soul. When you hear of, of needing comfort from God, as you look at your heart and your heart might be troubled and you need comfort, the first medicine that God gives the people of Judah is that sin is pardoned. Does that news comfort your heart? If it doesn't, it might be because your sin is not troubling your heart. And the first thing we might need to hear is that our sin is a troubling news to a holy God. Our sin should bring trouble to our souls because God cannot overlook sin. The reason why Judah is in exile is because of their sin. God is, is able and willing to bring whatever needs to happen to awaken His people to realize that their rebellion is a big deal. Oh, friends, this news of comfort, of their sin being pardoned, is comfort for Judah because they have experienced the, the, the danger, they have experienced a tragedy of living as a sinful people. Friends, I wonder if, if your heart is troubled by your sin. 
your heart is troubled by your sin, then this message is a great comfort. Sin is pardoned. If your, if your soul is not troubled by your sin, oh friends, keep reading backwards into Isaiah. Look at all the things that God has decreed for the nations, for even for his people who chose to take a path of sin. Let your heart read through some of the messages of judgment and warning that God has given in the first in the in the prior first half of the book of Isaiah. And let your heart be troubled. But once it's troubled by the warnings of God's judgment, read Isaiah 40. God offers comfort. The second part of the of the message of comfort is that is this begin preparing for the Lord. Begin preparing for the Lord. In verse 3, we see the second cry. It's a cry that calls for a special preparation. And the preparation is for the way of the Lord. The Lord is about to come to his people. Look at verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The pictures of a highway was used earlier in the book of Isaiah when the prophet saw the the unity that God will be able to bring even among enemies. Remember that point in the, in the book of Isaiah when God described Assyria and Babylon and, and Israel in the middle and that God would build up a highway between these? They were formerly enemies. The picture of a highway communicates, communicates engagement. It communicates fellowship. It communicates interaction. The news in this verse, however, is that the highway is prepared not simply for fellowship among nations. The highway is prepared for God to come to his people. He is the one who is preparing to come. Yet when he comes, his glory will not be limited only to his people. Notice that when this highway is prepared, notice when the, when the way of the Lord is, is, is prepared, that there's glory and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it. Not only Judah, not only Jerusalem, but all flesh shall see it. But it's interesting. Why is the preparation of this highway taking place in the wilderness? Why the wilderness? Why is there a call to prepare a highway for God in the desert? Why is God wanting to come in the desert? Well, if you remember... In the book of Isaiah, the wilderness and the desert have been images that described Judah devastated and desolated by their enemies. If so, it means that this imagery of the wilderness and the desert is a picture that tells us that the path where God wants to take and wants to come to is through the very middle of our tragedies, through the very middle of our mess, through the very middle of our fruitlessness. And notice what he brings to it, what he brings to the wilderness, what he brings to the desert. He brings glory. And this glory will be revealed. Look at verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And this glory will, will be seen by all. But prior to the revelation of God's glory, there's a promise. The preparation for this highway, the preparation for this glory is preceded by a promise of total transformation. Look at verse 4. We see a, a list of radical transformations that are pictured in images of nature. Verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. 
the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Do you hear the transformation that each of these natural elements experience? The coming of the Lord ushers in such a transformation. No wonder that these words were used to describe the ministry of John the Baptist. Before Jesus came, God sent the messenger before Christ who would prepare the way of the Lord, and his name was John the Baptist. And his ministry of preparing the Lord's coming, what did that ministry involve? It was a message that called people to repentance. And he was offering a baptism of repentance. He was, he was calling people to the life that God wants to call them to and give to them. These pictures of the transformation of natural elements tells us that when God comes, nothing will stand in the way. His coming will be leveled, straight, and smooth. And indeed, His coming will be a time when His glory will be revealed. In the Old Testament, Moses wanted to see God's glory and asked God, would you show me your glory? And God said, well, you, you, I can't. I can't, show you my full, I can't show you my full glory because no one can see my face and live. And here we are told the people of Judah those who are exiled, those who are in the wilderness of their experience, they are promised that God will come and His glory will be revealed. The third part of the message of comfort that God gives is that God's Word endures forever. Starting in verse 6, we read another voice about another voice and says, cry. And again, the word cry can be translated call out. It's not speaking so much about emotionalism here. It's speaking about be loud, be clear, make yourself heard. For well, heard for what? Hear, communicate what? Make known what? Well, here's the message that this messenger is called out to cry out and to make known. All flesh, verse 6, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, there's no question here what the point of these messages, of these verses are. There's a contrast here. Do you observe the contrast? There's a contrast between what is transient and temporary and on one side, and the other side, what is permanent, eternal, standing. What is transient and passing are people, are you and I. What is permanent and standing forever is the Word of God. This is a contrast. But notice that this contrast is not equally developed. There's not much developed about the firmness of the Word of God. There's a lot more, though, that we are told about the transientness of grass, of mankind. Why? Well, because we must hear that more. <laughs> we must hear this more. This must be drilled into our hearts. Oh, friends, to be described as flesh, as, to, be, to describe all flesh as grass, it's meant to point to the transient nature of our existence, to how easily we can be swept off from the scene of human history it's as easy as when we go outside to mow the grass. That's how easy we can be swept away 
from our human existence. And when you think about how much we fight to prolong our lives, how much we exercise and try to eat healthy so that we can live longer and better lives, when you think about all the efforts we put into trying to live longer, and we are being told here that all flesh is like grass. Friends, being reminded of our transient nature is a very humbling reality. Friend, if you want to grow in humility, think regularly about the fact that you will die. A time will come when you will no longer be living on this earth. Think about the fact that this world will go on even without you, even without any of us. Oh, what a humbling thought that is to know that God's work will go on even, on even without us. To know that this world will continue its trajectory even without us. That's a humbling thought. That we are not as important as we thought we are. And that we should not think of ourselves as highly. And we should not think of our dreams as highly as we think. Because all of it will, be, will feel like the fading of the flower of a grass that is cut away. But there's one reality that will be permanent. There's one reality that will never pass away. And that's the Word of God. We may pass away, but not the Word of God. This is what the Assyrian official in chapter 36 questioned God's people. Are mere words strategy for war? And the answer we see in chapter 40 is that human strategy, human words, human strength, human armies, human power... Human horses, human anything is no strategy. But the Word of God is a big strategy. It will stand forever. When we wither, the Word of God does not. While we will fade away, the Word of God stands forever. The Word of God is reliable. We can rely upon it. God's promises stand even if we ourselves do not get to live to see them all fulfilled in our lifetime. Oh, friends, God's word stands even if we ourselves do not get to live to see them all fulfilled in our lifetime. A fourth message, a fourth part of this message of comfort is that God himself is coming. The culmination of, of the comfort that God gives to his people is that he is coming to be with them. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes. The preparation has been made. The firmness of God's word has been established. And now it's time for the Lord to come. And this is the, this is the point. The Lord God comes. What a comforting thought for these exiles to hear. That it's not simply that God will take them out of exile. It's not simply for them to hear that God will bring them back to their own land. It's not simply to, for them to hear that God will give them back the blessings that God had taken away from them. The greatest part of this message of comfort is that God will come to be with them. And notice the two images that describe how God is coming. God comes as a victorious warrior. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and, with, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. In other words, when God comes... He comes to exert his power. And his arm is a ruling arm. He will come with power to exercise his reign. 
Friends, his power is not abusive. His power is not coercive. Notice the second way in which God's coming is described. A a second imagery in verse 11. He will come not only as a victorious warrior, but he comes as a caring shepherd. Verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are are with young. God will come to be a shepherd for his people. He will look after them as a shepherd looks after his flock. He will not be an impersonal God. He will not rule them as a distant CEO. No, he will gather lambs in his arms. And I want you to picture that. God will take his people in his arms as a shepherd takes lambs in his arms. And he will not lead them too fast so that the weak ones cannot keep up with the speed of the shepherd. He will know what they need. What a comforting thought to hear that this is how God planned to care for his people. God leading in a caring way. I love how one theologian said, God will come with the strength of a warrior. No enemy will be able to resist him. And with the tenderness of a shepherd, the weak will not be left behind. Oh, friends, God himself promises to come to his people. What a comfort that is. And finally, a fifth part about this message of comfort. This message of comfort is a good news to be proclaimed to others. Our text began with a message of comfort addressed to Jerusalem. This is how verse 2 began. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. But this message is not only for Jerusalem. It is also for all the cities. That's why in verse 9, God addresses Jerusalem and speaks about Jerusalem as a herald of good news. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift up, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. In other words, God now wants to make sure that the city of Jerusalem, who was the first one to hear the words of comfort, becomes a part of the messenger of this message of comfort. The message of comfort is a message of good news. And this message must be proclaimed. This means that those who first heard the great news of the message of comfort are called to be proclaimers. Friends, if you have experienced God's comfort in the gospel, God calls you to be a proclaimer of it. You might wonder, well, when was this message? When was this message of comfort fulfilled? Seventy years after the exile, God brought his people back into their land. But the words of this prophecy in Isaiah 40 were still not fully fulfilled. Centuries later, we found out, find out that the people of Israel were still waiting for the comfort of Israel. And the word for comfort in the New Testament is also a word that can be just as easily translated consolation. And we find out in Luke chapter 20, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Friends, the comfort that God promised in Isaiah 40 began to be fulfilled, not with the 
return of the exiles. That is not what the comfort that is not the comfort that God had promised. The comfort began to be fulfilled when God decided to come to his people. And he came himself. And he came as a mighty warrior to conquer the enemies of his people. The enemy of sin. The enemy of death. But he came not only as a warrior. He came also as a shepherd. He came to shepherd his people. That's why the preparation for the birth of Jesus is announced in the gospel of of Mark with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And the question is, who is it? Who is crying in the wilderness? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, the message of comfort that God declared in Isaiah 40 finds its fulfillment not in the Old Testament return of the exiles, but in the New Testament coming of Jesus. He is the comfort that God promised. He is the one who brings comfort to his people. Oh, friend, I wonder if you have experienced the comfort of God through the gift of his son, Jesus. This comfort of God includes a news that sin is forgiven for all those who put their trust in Jesus. Comfort includes a message that God's glory will be revealed and all humanity will see it. That's why the Gospel of John says that when Jesus appeared, we have seen his glory. The good news of God's comfort is that, that we fade away and we might die without the promises of God being fulfilled to us directly and personally in this lifetime. But that does not mean that the word of God does not stand forever. His promises will be fulfilled either with us now in this lifetime or in eternity. It will be fulfilled. The promise of God's comfort is that God himself is coming as a victorious warrior and a caring shepherd. And this message of comfort must be proclaimed to others. Oh, dear friends, as we prepare for celebrating the birth of Jesus, we prepare to celebrate the coming of the comfort of God to troubled hearts. Do you know this comfort? If you don't know this comfort, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. If you know this comfort, are you proclaiming it? Because those who have heard this message of comfort are made to be proclaimers of it. May we be so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a God who know how to comfort your people. And the comfort that you give through your word, through the proclamation of your promises, come to be true. Father, we thank you that ultimately you have come yourself through your son to dwell with us and to bring us the comfort that we need. Would you comfort our hearts? Through Jesus, And would you make us heralds of good news, of this comfort to those around us, so that all flesh might see your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor.